everyone and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube, you can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast and you can leave a rate and review for us. You can visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week we watched The Northman 2022. The Northman is a 2022 epic historical action drama film directed by Robert Eggers and co-written by Eggers and Sion. Based on the legend of Ameleth, the film stars Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Clay Spang, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Bjork, and Willem Dafoe. So, Dale, what was your thoughts about this film? I don't know. I have, like, a bunch of different feelings of it. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel. Um, especially, you know, if you've seen... And this is the weird thing with, Egg, like, Eggers. Like, he, you know, his main oh, magnum opus in multiple terms would be the um, Lighthouse. So if you were going in comparing this or expecting something like the Lighthouse, you were, um, didn't get what you <laughs> expected in a way. Um... You can clearly see that, you know, Edgar's, you know, he did his started out with theater as a theater director. So and stuff like that. So those influences and his choices in those um tales still exist. Um, like you said, this is story of the legend of um Almeth, which uh on it predates, you know, Hamlet. Which if you watch this movie you got Hamlet vibes, that's why this is that legend is by uh Sacto Sacto Germanicus in the um, history of the Danes and even um Skarsgård who's a producer admitted like yeah the movie draws heavily from that so if you got Hamlet vibes watching this that's why this is this story is literally what inspired um Hamlet in a way which is funny because I think we're in a bit midst of a modern rebirth of you know Shakespearean tales in modern Hollywood you've had you know the king with Netflix you've had you know succession and an empire or King Lear you know so it's probably going to be happening more and more often as we go on. But, yeah, the movie, I think, mean, like, the movie didn't really move me in a way. Um, I wasn't, there's, like, usually with these movies, you know, like, you gravitate to a character, and I wasn't really drawn in by anybody in the movie, particularly in a way. I will say, um, I do think this is a, probably the most in recent years I've seen Nicole Kidman act in a moat, like comparing her stuff on being the Ricardos to this movie. I thought she did a lot more, like showing different range of emotion to me, you know, from mm-hmm. playing a, a demure, quiet woman to be and revealed to be the, the actual shrew, the motivation behind, you know, she admitted like she was a slave and this is, she's, you know, gravitating along with power to, main, to maintain her station. She'll want to be a slave again. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, of course, Eggers is Eggers' favorite like female actress right now is you know Anna. This is the second movie with her. Um, she didn't really move me, and I guess it's because I felt like her character really didn't really give anything. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of mm-hmm. sort of like bland in a way. Um, yeah, I don't know. She felt like the. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like her, she didn't like. She didn't really move. Like no one moved me, but Nicole Kidman's character. Like, which is so weird. I don't know. So that's how I feel about it. You know, as far as my experience watching it in a way. 
Yeah. Um, so, how did I feel about this movie? I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought that it was giving me a lot of Game of Thrones vibe just yeah. because of the setting. Yeah. They shot um, mostly in Ireland, so, like, a lot of those locations looked familiar to me, so that's what I was kind of getting. kind of gave me a little gladiator feel in some of those, some scenes. It also gave me a lot of um, the tragedy of, of Macbeth, which we which we saw a couple of months ago, yeah. which is also by Shakespeare. So it was giving me a kind of a lot of those vibes. So I really, I was into it, you know, I, I got into it because yeah. it was, there were things that looked familiar to me so I can kind of grab onto. Um, in terms of the film itself, I thought that one, this is probably... Other than Big Little Lies, this is probably Alexander Skarsgård's best role I've seen him perform in. Mm -hmm. So that's something. Um, apparently Skarsgård wanted to make a Viking film for a while and he and Eggers decided to make a film, this, this film, their third project, after they met to discuss possible collaborations. And um, it's interesting, something that you said earlier that this one is based on Amleth, which is a figure in medieval Scandinavian legend, and it was a direct inspiration for William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Um, but the way that this movie was probably marketed, which is what I've been hearing, like a lot of the criticisms that I've been hearing from this movie actually has more to do with like people expected it to be one thing and then they watched it Not and they, yeah. it came out something else. Um, so there were a couple of takes on that specifically. I think that one, this movie was by Focus Feature, so it wasn't like an A24 movie. It wasn't like an independent or like an, even though A24 isn't really indie. Anymore, no. Not, not anymore. <laughs> no. Not anymore, yeah. But you know what I mean, the aesthetic of independent movie making. That's yeah. kind of what they're known for. This was made by Focus Features, which is a bigger, which is a bigger studio. He got a bigger budget. I think some people felt like because of that, it seemed a little too commercial not as raw and gritty as Robert Eggers' other movies have been. Some people were saying that because it was a bigger studio marketing it, that they made it seem like this big action flick, whatever, which is kind of true because there are action sequences, but it's also a movie that is weird and has a lot of surrealist elements, which is what Robert Eggers does. Mm -hmm. So I think people were confused with like, they thought they were going to see like a big Maybe something of the like Legend of Tarzan elk, which Skarsgård has done before, and it wasn't that movie. So mm. they were like, what is this? <laughs> and people who were thinking like this is going to be like really edgy, hardcore horror, introspective stuff that The Lighthouse was or The Witch was, they saw this and was like, what is this? So there's kind of both of those arguments. Um, I enjoyed this film in terms of like, I saw Edgar's blueprint of how he makes movies. Like, we saw The Lighthouse, so we kind of know he does weird, he does surrealist, he does out-of-the-box kind of stuff. But I thought this had more of a plot. I think this had... It was very, the world very streamlined. Yeah. Yeah, the world building was better. It seemed a little bit more accessible because it's a story that we've seen in other iterations, right? And I, and I liked that. I thought that this is probably... I like this actually a little bit more than I like The Lighthouse just because it felt more cohesive. Um, 
and not like just two guys kind of rambling around in a lighthouse for like two hours or whatever. Even though I loved that movie, I thought it was great. I just, I think this is a little bit more together, a little bit more sleeker, fuller. It gave me a little bit more of an experience than The Lighthouse did, I think. Um, not in terms of like how I felt about it, but just in terms of like, in a movie sense, this felt more like a movie and not like a an experiment. You understood this movie more than Lighthouse. Yes. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Um, but those are my thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100% with you. I mean, Edgar, is he loves to take historical fiction and put a horror twist on it. You know, he loves, he loves to delve into those mythological, you know, those, you know, whispered tales, you know, the witch, the witch and the witch and lighthouse. He loves taking, expanding upon those mythologies and stories and horror sto- and creating his own kind of psychological thriller. I wouldn't even call it horror because it's not really, it's more mm-hmm. I'm messing with your mind. So psychological thriller in a way works more. Um, and with this movie, he tried to keep it more grounded, less with the, um, like, of course, anytime you do a movie on anything dealing with Norse mythology, those elements are going to be there. But like, it's mm-hmm. like you were saying, this movie is actually more straight and narrow. There's less, you'll, you spend less time watching it, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. You know, yeah. um, and whereas, whereas this, I think I'm like, us to be honest, not many people did watch the, the witch when it came out, you know, mm-hmm. everybody kind of mm-hmm. watched it after we saw lighthouse. Um, whereas, um, lighthouse, you can kind of see it as a, you can kind of still view it as a two man theater production. Like you mm-hmm. go to a regular, any, any kind of, you know, theater around your city and you can, you can literally watch two men play the, do the whole movie and you still get the same reaction this feels more like like i said it's focused pictures this feels more like a movie movie mm-hmm. in a way and i think as far as you're right when i heard about this i was expecting this big viking epic you know i like but to get you know shakespeare or the legend it, it's familiar and trite and when i say familiar and trite it's I have everybody, ev- almost every Hollywood story in a way is just Shakespeare. It's just how yeah. you, it's just your, <laughs> how you reimagine it, how you deliver it in different ways. Like mm-hmm. nowadays, we have Cyrano and the- Cyrano and theaters with um Peter Dinklage. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy that movie as much, comparably. Um, I know a couple of years ago, Netflix had a play. Netflix redid that same story using uh. Chinese American lesbian girl. I forgot the name of the movie because we watched it. <laughs> we talked about it on the podcast. I forgot the name. I forgot the name of the movie. What was the name of that movie? A um, Chinese American. No, version? no. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confusing. That was yeah. That's Serenno. I forgot. Like she lives at her dad as like the train track master or whatever. I forgot the name of the movie, but. Oh, oh, um, yes, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. It was like a rom-com. Yeah, that was still Cyrano. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. That was still Cyrano, but it was a whole mm-hmm. neat twist and element to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if you're doing, sh- like, I'm t- I don't want to see West Side Story like 20 times in a row. Like, if you're going to give me Shakespeare, like, put a whole new makeup and cover on it. Because really, like, when I say I wasn't drawn in by anything, like, I thought Alexander did a wonderful job in this movie. Um... You know that whole berserker like warrior mindset he has, but as far as the story as a whole, like as a whole, nothing really said. Oh, I have to sit here and watch the rest of this movie mm-hmm. at all. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 
Well, I think for me, because I don't really know the story of Hamlet that much, I think I've just seen iterations of it. I don't yeah. actually know what the story consists of. <laughs> so I, so when I was seeing it, I wasn't, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I know it was based on Shakespeare. So I was like, I guess I have this something familiar, but in terms of like knowing like what's going to happen next, I wasn't really sure. Like it, it seemed like a very like by the numbers this person wants revenge for their family that's killed. And it's like, okay, fine. But I also think that, like, the visuals were very interesting, the kind of blurring the lines of, like, fantasy and, and what's happening in the reality. Mm-hmm. There were some beautiful, but also really brutal, like, long sequences, long action sequences. I think that Robert is really good at paying attention to detail so like everything looked like the period that this was coming from I think that was like a comment I saw was that like they got people from Iceland to come in and like look at everything do the production design of everything um yeah archaeological 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 or mythological there we go (laughs) <laughs> we got it discoveries and ancient symbolic like symbols and stuff like that into the film so it's like a very accurate movie like of like what this would have looked like at the time which i think is really that's but he's always done that he did that in the witch he did that in the lighthouse so that was really good um and then the performances obviously the cinematography was beautiful like every single shot i was like oh my god this looks incredible like it it just looked great even the sound design, I think the sound design is probably more um, crucial to the story in The Lighthouse, but I think in this movie, it also worked when people would take swords out of their sheaths. It was just like, oh my yeah, god. Like it, felt, yeah. it felt really epic in that way. So I think that everyone came together and did a really good job in executing this, and I liked it because I knew that because it was going to be like a more action viking thingy, type of story that it wasn't going to be like straight up like um psychological horror like experimental kind of thing that the lighthouse was like I was expecting something different and I Uh do think that he's gotten better in doing these kinds of things as he's continued as Robert's continued to continue to make movies he's gotten better at like streamlining everything but also giving us things that are a little weird like when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about like the Green Knight, which mm-hmm. kind of did the same thing, even though the Green Knight was very much more. Um, I don't think they were as mainstream. I think that it was very different. Mm-hmm. It was a very different kind of movie, which you would expect from something that comes from like A24. Like it felt like that kind of movie. So I think you kind of know what you're getting in terms of like which studio is producing what if you're like paying attention. Yeah. But I do think. Um, I like I like this I like this combo. I'm not I wasn't mad at it. Like I didn't feel like I did not feel anything. I did actually feel stuff for these characters. Um, Nicole Kidman was the standout. I would say I think she was like more of the heart of the movie. Like she really brought you into it. Um, Anya Taylor Joy. I was kind of yeah yeah. I know. I'm kind of. <laughs> The thing is, I'm kind of too used to seeing her face. I think maybe that's another another problem. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen her too much, and I've seen 
her not like girl listen get your bag I'm not telling like I'm happy that you're employed I'm just saying like I think I've seen her too much playing not the same character but characters that feel that eerily similar yeah, yeah they feel yeah. a little too similar to me and that's a little weird because it's because then you can't really get into what the character is doing and also that trope of like being like the different girl or whatever and then you know getting with the guy and then just disappearing that's not really an arc that's not really a story like she doesn't really do she helps out a lot but then when her role is over it's over like he leaves her to go do whatever he needs to do yeah her whole purpose is just to leave and escape that's it like yeah, and just and be it. the helper. And I wasn't loving that for her character, especially because I know her and Robert have a very solid relationship because she wasn't the witch. Like, that was her breakout role. Yeah. So I was expecting her to have a lot more, but she didn't. So it was weird. It was, it was that, that part kind of, I didn't love that part. The whole relationship thing, I was just like, ugh. Because at the end of the day, I knew he was going to leave her and he was going to go do whatever he needed to do with the uncle. And that was going to be it. So I don't know. I didn't love it. But I do think, I did overall think that the movie was like well done in that I did, I was invested. Like I was invested while I was watching it. I was like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> so. like, I feel like watching the movie, um, there are points where I was expecting more from a lot of characters, particularly the prince, mm-hmm. Oscar, his character. Because, um, you know, you see the beginning of the movie where, you know, his village gets, you know, pillaged by his own uncle. You know, usually mm-hmm. you show scenes like that with kids. Not even just kids. Usually you think thematically and story-wise that that would sort of trigger some kind of empathy within the character. That's, that's that one core, no matter what happens, that core moment will mm-hmm. kind of stays with you major thing like you see him once he invades this other village he doesn't participate in the pillaging or killing but he doesn't he just stands by and watches and watching his character knowing that that's his backstory and especially knowing in the end of the movie where he frees the slaves his uncle's slaves and and there's really no emotional reaction in that kind of thing only time we get up almost an emotional reaction is when the mountain is about to knock the kid's head off. You know, mm-hmm. where he fights off. But it, when his interactions with the slaves where they're freeing them or watching the slaughter of them, like, young boys, like, if I'm, if I'm, the thing is in that situation, if I know, oh, that was me, like, that could have been me when my uncle was taking over, being thrown into a room and burnt on fire, you get no reaction. All that, you don't, you know, there's no, like, I understand, like, after years and years of being, you know, in that situation, you know, he's not going to be there. But there should be some, at least, fragments when you're emoting. Because all the, the camera just holds on and looking face on as he's looking at it. Like, there should be some kind of emo- emotion still there. Like, at least a glimmer, like a slight crack in those mm-hmm. kind of scenes. And I didn't get that. Like, And if that had happened and I got those little things, maybe I would be more sympathetic and be more drawn into his character. But it's it's so in the movie and his arc is so deeply ingrained in black and culture like my thing is if you're gonna draw from historical great historical fiction draw from these stories you can at least deviate a bit to draw you know people in more in a way mm-hmm. like i said whole 
his whole motivation, his whole is, is very like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Very Spartan like, like mm-hmm. as Viking culture, like I want to die in glorious death. Like that was his whole motivation. Like once he finds out he's having kids, like nah, f that, f the family. I'm going to Valhalla. See y'all mm-hmm. niggas later. You know that kind of thing. So I don't know. Like yeah. I don't know. Uh, like the story, like the story, really didn't do much for me to make me like feel for anybody, anybody or anything, or draw me into continue to watch. So, mm. yeah, I thought he. It is a really difficult thing, especially when your character arc is almost like competing with the story, because at the because this is a story that ends a certain way, right? <laughs> so you have to, I guess, sacrifice character moments in order to get to that last plot point. Where it's like, yeah, he can feel things. He can feel bad that his mom like lied to him, that his dad got killed, all the other stuff. But at the end of the day, he still needs to be here. He needs to be yeah. on the volcano fighting naked. Like that's where we need to get him. Yeah, you, and but I you think can do both. You can that, still do both though. And I'm sure people have. I'm sure people yeah. have done that in the past. Yeah. But I think in this circumstance, since you're talking about it, that yeah. that didn't happen. Yeah. You know, the character did get stuff like sacrifice in order to get to this last point yeah. and i think it did like you're saying it didn't need to like he could have brought more to those moments yeah. i think there was a couple points where i felt like he was getting there like he was at least questioning the idea of like is revenge the only thing that matters or can i have a better life after this but that moment was fleeting so it kind of came and went and then we were on to the next thing so yeah more could have been done <laughs> for sure more could have been and the, this accelerated love relationship between him and Anna's character yeah again that to me was kind of the weakest point of the movie I really I wasn't feeling it I really wasn't feeling that it, like, it the just first, seems the so first arbitrary thing, the first thing she honestly says to him when he sneaks on the boat is like oh I know who you really are you really are a mm-hmm. viking you're you're not a peaceful person you're, you might like you might dress like a sheep but you're a wolf like that kind of thing mm-hmm. So I was like, so where did this like instantaneous, you know, love happen? Because they only really saw them together like four or five scenes, and they're really sparse. There's none of that romantic spark kind of things. Like, oh, she drops the bread to talk to him. Like, oh, they're doing this, this, this. Like sharing secrets. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, in like three scenes later, they're having sex in the forest. Like, mm-hmm. you know. So. Yeah. Again. They were like, "Well, this happened in the store, so this needs to happen on screen." And again, yeah. you're sac- like, "Your those moments are sacrificed in order yeah. to move plot along." Yeah. Again, one of the weakest parts for me. I just, I did not buy it because it, it was so like, "What?" He like helped you not slip on the boat, and now you guys are in love. Like, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't. So that was great. That's the That was what shatters the real world. Life doesn't make sense, but stories have to. <laughs> that kind yeah, of thing. Like that's that's true. Like stories, stories kind of do gotta make sense. So yeah, yeah. But I was thinking about what this thing was actually trying to say. Maybe it was talking about masculinity, toxic masculinity. That's what I was really getting from it. Was that these rules were so like weird? Like the way that they understood toxic a man's yeah a man's role in society where you had to die for glory, like, you know, you had to be seen to be respected by other people, you had to own other people in order to boost your own position in life. 
that's what I was getting hit with a lot from the the earlier scenes with Ethan Hawke and the child. That's what I was getting a lot a lot of that messaging. Yeah, yeah, you have to be brutal. You have to be a man. Like this is what it takes. Um, and so from that point of view, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I, I like this Viking story as an exploration of toxic masculinity, but I just feel like at the end of it, it, the, the message doesn't really land because he still goes on that journey where he's like, I could have a better life, but I'm choosing not to, because I feel like I must do this because of destiny or whatever crap you want to call it. So did the message really land? No, but maybe they weren't trying to. Maybe they were just like, let's explore it in this way. Yeah. I don't know. And it, it, <laughs> I it's don't really, know. It's really also the three most prominent women. I'm going to say three prominent women. Mm-hmm. You have Anna. Her character is a slave. She's a slave. You have mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman's character. She's a queen, but she's a former slave who's basically doing everything in her power not to call mm-hmm. back to being a slave. And then the next other prominent woman is a priestess. And that, mm-hmm. that goes again to encode societal values of women. Like basically your job is just to provide children or your design is in some, your purpose is a, is a, is a religious reason. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right. Like this movie does delve into those toxic um, masculine things like the whole iconography with them and wolves and barking and dogs that goes yeah. it feeds back into that modern you know alpha male theory like you have to be this kind of dude if to get what you want um yeah and i and i'm when i watched it i was like this kid's re- like I, like and honestly me as a black man watching this i felt kind of put off because of those moments i feel mm-hmm. like to me I'm gonna say this jokingly, but it's gonna sound jokingly, but it's really serious. I feel like to me, this is really like the whole. It's gonna come. It's gonna. This movie's gonna feel like you know the alt right, those neo Nazi movies. This is their like Black Panther. Mm-hmm. This they're opiates. They love this Twitter, social media. They love to um you know talk about a wax poetic on this whole all this Viking stuff and talking about like, bro, you would not survive as a Viking. You're living in the modern era. You, they would whoop your ass, first of all. But <laughs> and it's and it's also telling that a lot of that Viking and like that well I should say that because that Viking Viking culture is becoming Caucasian, let's be honest. If that whole mm-hmm. violent Viking culture has really been amplified in modern media the last couple of years. You know, there's been plenty of projects dealing with Vikings, like they just finished a whole show called the vikings i think that ran from like 2015 that ended like earlier like late last mm-hmm. year like those mm-hmm. kind of things i really like i'm not it's not lost to me as to what's happening in society right now those kind of projects and mediums are increasing in a way so and like mm-hmm. that's i think that's part of why i couldn't get invested in this movie because in watching it i could i felt a certain way you know so yeah, yeah that's... I think I definitely felt weird. I felt weird on two accounts. One of it being that there, one of them being that the violence was really shocking. And I think in this time in particular, where you know we're in the middle of a war right now and people are actually losing their lives, it felt a little too um, close to home. Maybe even though we're not dealing with the direct consequences in terms of like being displaced or 
seeing the type of violence like in our hometowns the way that people in Ukraine are but I'm just saying like when you the violence was really like hard to look at there were there were moments where my jaw audibly dropped I said oh wow that's crazy um but also the point that there were no black people in this movie and there wasn't any black people in the lighthouse and I don't know if but I don't think there were any black people in The Witch, so I'm not sure. Maybe they were, but I don't recall. So I, that, there's something about that, and I, I think I talked about this in the, um, in the video uh, with uh, The Worst Woman in the World, mm-hmm. where even though these are, like, this is a historical period movie, and you know, I guess you feel like you must be accurate to that. and But I can't help but think that. I don't know. There's just something about, like, not seeing black bodies in movies that are made today. Like, that just makes it, me it, feel weird. It, it, me, with that, it depends on the project and the, the, the topic. Like, I'm willing to forgive and forget that, you know, no black people were in this movie. Because, let's be honest, we don't like cold. So... I got I don't kind of see part of a black a black person you know working as a Viking or whatever, um and I guess the but I could kind of I think the witch takes place during like Salem witch trials so I can kind of go okay because I'm okay with it because if black people were featured they'd probably be like slaves I think so I'm kind of okay without them being there I mean lighthouse. I, I'm giving Lighthouse a pass too because Lighthouse was just the two of them. You really, really didn't see anybody else at all. Like the movie kind of just opens with the two of them on the boat, on the arm um, at the Lighthouse. Now, if the movie was longer and it showed, you know, Robert Pattinson's journey to the Lighthouse with other sailors, maybe I could say where the where the black goes. But I'm and like I'm and my thing when we were talking about worst girl in the world is if it's historical, I'm gonna give it okay. But if it's purely um, medieval fantasy, then I'm be like, all right, it's this is not real at all. This is really really fictitious. Why aren't any black people there? Whereas this, I can kind of okay it. And the thing with the worst girl in the world is, it's uh, it was a modern society, like in a modern society. I hear what society, you're saying. Yeah, what I'm saying is that that does I that I can't I can't make those excuses anymore. True. Okay. I feel I like you, you know what I'm saying because I just feel like. People think that because it's historical, that means that black people were just just did not exist, and that's not true. So especially it's especially because this isn't this is based on you know um, Norse Norse mythology. It's based on Vikings, but this is still a fictitious story. It's like it's like let's just talk about like the tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. Denzel Washington is the main character in that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And there are black people who are who are supporting characters to who are in the story. This was based on a Shakespearean play. So what I'm saying is like if I understand that yes, this is Iceland and yes, this is whatever, like we're in Ireland doing this and this is about these Viking people, but I'm just saying like it, it it's so it it doesn't really make sense to me because it feels like if you want to be truly accurate, you would have to account for the fact that people of color, let's not even say black people. Let's, let's excuse that. If you want to excuse that there are still people of color who existed in those places. True. So it just doesn't, 
it's weird I mean, to not see them there. Yeah, you're you know you're 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 right, especially considering that this story, the only historical record of it is um Saxo Germanicus's book. And mm-hmm. even in that, historians have said that his source for it is an oral tale. Like they really mm-hmm. and, and the fact that it was an oral tale that he wrote down, there was like they haven't found any like historical evidence that he might be real. It's kinda like King Arthur. They're like the story of King yeah. Arthur. You know there are fantasy elements to it, and they're they're thinking my real because there is a was it a Roman general named Arturus? So I think Arthur King Arthur could have existed. You know, so I, I get you're saying the fact, yeah, historical, like yeah, yeah, that being the only having one historical content and basing taking as fact as just one oral story, yeah, and kind of, uh, yeah. So this is less. And- history yeah. but more fiction fiction to a degree so i see your point right yeah. and in king arthur dev patel played that character yeah. you know in the green knight so i'm saying like well, there isn't he played Gwen. yeah i'm saying but like was that based in in the mythology of that yeah was there white people or was it it was seemed like it was purely white people coming from like a european yeah. perspective of the story right and i'm saying a person of color played that role so yeah. i'm saying like there isn't to me, there aren't excuses for that anymore. Yeah, yeah gotcha. So that's why I felt weird about it. Because I was just like, mm, something's not right here. And I think to to your earlier point, people can see stuff like that and then take it in the direction of something of like a neo-Nazi, whatever, because that's what's being projected on screen. Not saying that yeah. this is propaganda or, or anything of that degree. I'm just saying- You, you can take those toxic, those toxic elements, yeah. Yes, I you guess. could interpret it that way. So- yeah. That's just my point. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um. I don't even. What am I saying about this? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing else. I think I'm pretty much done. But I think it's. <laughs> I I'm glad that an India like or a more auteur in. Nah, I don't hate to kind of throw that word around. A more indie person, director, filmmaker was able to make a movie like this on a bigger budget. I think that it wasn't marketed well in terms of like what people were supposed to get. I think it's only made 23.5 million at the box office as of yesterday. So I don't know how it's going to do. I don't think it's going to make its budget back. This, That's not what the numbers are indicating at this point. But... Okay, yeah. So, um, but overall, I did, I guess, you know, I think what it is is that I thought the performances were pretty pretty good, and I thought that the visuals were excellent, and that's more of what I understand of his filmmaking. Setting atmosphere, getting good performances, having great visuals. Like, that's what I think of when I think of Robert Eggers. So, story plot i'm not guessing i i guess there's certain people you know who to go to for certain things and for him that's kind of what i go for i don't expect more than that but i am i did like that this was at least elevated and cohesive um but i but there are definitely some issues with it so i think people should at least give it a chance you know watch it at your leisure um his theater background um Mm -hmm. 
I think that helps in this because he's able to expand upon the things he sees and these things you see in your head in theater. Like you kind of have to interpret as you're watching people. There are things you kind of have to interpret in your head that might be happening. At least these the this universe actually making film and he has opportunity to expand upon those visions like vi- like visually like you said he's a vis- he's a very visually intense director and when i say visuals i'm not talking about you know how people think cinematography like how the shots is framed like he's used like him integrating all the family tree him putting his the son's hand inside his father's chest and then going from mm. a going from a heart to the tree that vision of the boat going to the, the world tree, you know, him being carried by a Valkyrie to Valhalla, like he's able to expand upon that imagery in this setting, which in theater, you cut, you're really limited. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, any last thoughts? No, I mean, like I said, like the story itself didn't really move me in a way i guess you can kind of take it as a cautionary tale like if you like we've known with any kind of hamlet like story is if you continue on the path to vengeance the destination is always ruined that kind of thing especially in the end when he's faced opportunity to actually go and be peaceful he decides no i'm gonna you know go for revenge kind of like kind of like the opposite of sam the lion king single is like yeah i'm happy free and it's like, oh, I guess I got to go home and fight my uncle. I guess, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know? It's like where differences, Simba really had no direction in his life. He did have an opportunity now to be free and actually be, have a purpose of being a father kind of thing. So I don't know. Hammer tales are always cautionary stories, you know, about vengeance and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. So what are you rating it? <laughs> um, hmm. Mm, I don't know what I can actually rate it. That's the thing. Um, oh, man. I'm probably going to give it a 6 out of 10. And that's not bad. It's mostly dwelling upon the movie not moving me, in a way. Like, the story itself, the plot not really moving me. You know, those character moments that didn't happen. Where even though yes, it's falling on a historical story, so it has to be true. You can still deviate to degrees and give fictional characters actually human feelings. Um, none of that was actually portrayed. Um, I feel like Anna Joy Taylor was just there. You know, she didn't really serve a purpose. Um, but yeah, like visual, like I said before, those scenes with the Viking mythology and those kind of like those shot those scenes that Edgar's throws in our eyes in the movie, they're really beautiful. Um, well, yeah, beyond that, as a cohesive piece, it's like a 6.5 out of 10 for me, story-wise. So. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it like a 7.9 out of 10. Uh, I think I like the fact that it was just more full. Um, mm-hmm. I like that aspect of it, but I do think that in terms of like having a, an a visceral emotional reaction, I think the lighthouse probably beats this out. Yeah. Um, like I felt disgusted while I was watching the lighthouse. This one I felt, I did feel a little gross, but I didn't feel like as 
nasty. <laughs> so maybe that's something there. Um, I will say that this is the second movie I watched this year where a girl throws her period blood at a man and I am okay with that. I think that that's cool. So that should be a new movement. Just to men who are awful. So it's gonna, it's gonna it's every every everyone. every movie yeah. every movie someone has a throw of period blood. What what did she say in the movie is like woman's blood doesn't scare you anymore? When she tried yeah. to kill her, she laughed. <laughs> okay, that 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 I think was funny. So yeah. that was cool. Like yeah. oh, <laughs> woman's cool. woman's blood is scary. Oh, yeah. That was gangster. Yeah. So um just for that, cool. Um the visuals were absolutely stunning though. And he really accurately depicted like the rough and just awful, you know, life that you had to live back in those days. Like, it seems horrible to have to live back in those times. Like, actually the worst. So, there was that. And it was interesting. I was interest I was intrigued. So, I'm going to give it a 7.9. But I'm, I think in terms of, like, the, the movies that I've seen this year, it's not, like, the best thing I've seen, but it's definitely not the worst thing I've seen, or like the most mediocre. I think it definitely elicited something out of me, and I was engaged. So there's that. Give it a shot. But well, I'm I'm kind of actually wondering now: is it a thing with like you know when you're telling a Nordic story or in those elements you know, we've seen mm-hmm. with the worst person in the world? That's a female character actually throw her period, but all the time. Is that a recurring theme? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Is that a recurring theme? That's a tradition. Is that a tradition? You know, if you're dealing with those elements, you know, Nordic people, a woman has to throw a period blood at somebody. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, moving on from that to the overall box office numbers, um, as you guys know, um, as we talked about last week, or I talked about last week, the issues with um, the fantastic stuff like that as far as box office numbers. Um, last weekend when it debuted, it, of course, debuted to about um, $43 million last week. Um, but between last week and this weekend, um, it kind of almost had a 79% drop in its you know, move money it brought in. So it might be, you know, spelled doom or the end of Warner Brothers attempting to create a franchise out of this, especially considering the franchise evolved from, it went beyond the short book, like what J.K. Rowling was doing at the time when she was expanding upon the Harry Potter world and actually writing those stories that were featured in the in the, in the universe as real war things. Like, so it, it evolved from... Fantastic beasts, where to find them? To all of a sudden trying to create a a tent hole, a tent hole franchise. As far as you know, mm. then becoming the crimes of Griswold, and then becoming the secrets of Dumbledore. And like I said, it's a, it's a, this was a third movie out of Planet Five. So mm. having a big drop like that, almost almost let's be honest, eighty percent in you know revenue. That's a mm. big. That just might spell doom potentially for that franchise as a whole. But um, on that note, um, you know, the movie that did kind of overtake everybody was the um the animated movie The Bad Guys. It had a limited engagement like last week, but this is actually his big, you know, debut debut. Um, it's of course it's a Universal animated comedy. Um, with starring a lot of, let's start like Craig Robinson, 
Zazie Beat, Sam Rockwell, you know, Aquafina. Um, but so it does have those big names attached to it to a degree. Um, so it's not surprised that it did, it did go well, especially this is you're still in those spring summer ish people kids or parents are still taking their kids to movies but it's also a movie that you know adults can enjoy with their their kids um and it made i think 24 billion 24 million debuting at number one um which is a good thing because you've had two animated ish or kids ish movies dominating the box office but as we take a look at it the expanded numbers for the weekend at number 10 Dropping from seven is ambulance. Um, uh, now sitting at nine from seven um, is Morbius. Um, Father's Do, the um, Mark Wahlberg picture dropped from five all the way to um, eight. The Lost City, Sandra Bullock's movie, was holding steady at three. I think it's kind of had the biggest drop from weekend to weekend compared to most movies, although it's been out for about five weeks, so that's kind of to be expected. Um, that dropped from three to seven. Um, everything, everything, everywhere, all at once dropped from four to six. Um, of course, Nick Cage vehicle, the unbearable weight of massive talent, debuted at five for the weekend. Of course, Norseman, the very movie we talk about now, debuted at four. Um, Fantastic Beats, which I mentioned earlier, with its major drop, um, it dropped from number one to number three. Um, Sonic Health is holding city number two. Of course, like I said, uh, Bad Guys debuted at number one. That's the weekend numbers domestically. Um, internationally, um, for the weekend, um, across the board, it seems like the big movies like Singapore has Death in the Nile, um, New Zealand has Beatles Get Back, Netherlands is showing um, Encanto right now, um, South Korea, Spain, Finland, Australia, the UK all have Death in the Nile. Um, the biggest week movie in Italy is West Side Story, Germany, what? Um, Death in the Nile again, Switzerland, Encanto, Mongolia, Estonia, Bad Guys, of course, Denmark, Norway, Austria, Belgium, Sweden, and Argentina. The big movie there would, of course, be The Norsemen because it's their, their mythology. Um, Israel, the movie's back now, uh, Ambulance, um, in Hong Kong, Sing 2, Poland, of course, one another one of those Nordic countries. Number one movie is um, Norsemen. China, Ambulance, Brazil, and France, Fantastic, Fantastic Beasts, and Japan. In Japan, it is Nightmare Alley. So, kind of varied globally across the world. And I'm not, and it's, it's, I'm not surprised as a region. You know, the Nordic countries, the number one movie is the North, the North Makers. Usually, that always happens. You know, I think when movies that attract those demographics and audience, you kind of do gravitate towards them. I think when I think um, Mulan for a period was the major movie in that that South the Asian region of the world. So it's not so it's to be expected because you're basically a target audience because it's about your culture. So yeah, I think my dad and my dog are fighting in the background. So if you hear barking, <laughs> I apologize, people. Okay, so major news. Most of the news was dominated by the Johnny Depp Amber Heard stuff, but I can't get into that a little bit later. Right now, the the biggest news story is the weekend's new HBO show, The Idol, um, are having major changes to its upcoming music industry drama series. So, The Weeknd is working with Sam Levinson on this one. 
And the statement is that the Idol's creative team continues to build, refine, and evolve their vision for the show, and they have aligned on a new creative direction. The production will be adjusting its cast and crew accordingly to best serve this new approach to the series. We look forward to sharing more information soon. Um, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> And hey, your boys, your boys, I think producer on it, you know, Sam Levinstein. That is not my boy. Do oh. not associate me with him. <laughs> I refuse to be associated with that man. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I guess, um, I guess I don't, I don't know what to expect of this. Um, so Johnny, speaking of Johnny Depp, I guess his daughter, this is going to be her breakout TV role. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. So this is what I understand from what's going on, right? Like, from what I've seen, they've already started shooting the -hmm. show, and it seems like it's been in production for a little while now. So the creative changes, I don't know what that means if you're, like, if you're mid-production. Like, what does... I'm sure that's happened on other productions. I just don't recall it happening. Unless someone did something, like, insane and you have to get, like, a new person to fill the role. But... They're saying, like, the whole show will be shifted. Like, whatever it was before will now be something different. And the premise was that, like, a singer was, like, in a relationship with the DJ or something, like, or some person, and then that person was in charge of, like, a cult or something. I don't know. It was weird. And I was already kind of skeptical about it because The Weeknd isn't an actor, so I wasn't really sure how that was going to work anyways. But he's famous, so they were like, here's a show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what this means. I don't know if this also has to do with Johnny Depp in that whole situation. Maybe it's affecting Lily Rose in a way that's a little serious, so maybe she can't stay on. I'm not really sure like what's going on. It was very vague. The statement was incredibly vague, so I'm not really sure what that even means. I mean, before we get to, you know, since we're talking about, you know, HBO, so that before we move on to Johnny Depp stuff, you know, Netflix has also reported like they're raising subscription rates and they're losing out the competitors. And um, I guess in the in the moment of it, it's this them they've ended production of a lot of their planned animated adaptations, particularly um, Roll Dolls to Twits and Jeff Smith's Bone. Like Bone is probably one of the most iconic um comic book projects that was going to finally get an animated project. Um. So they stopped a lot of their anime, original animated plans, and this and this comes twofold as a net, as Netflix says competitors are catching up to them. Um, mm-hmm. I will say Netflix's model of you know distributing other international projects. So I think I'm working on the article, but we are in the midst of another of what I call a K wave as far as Korean projects, not just mm-hmm. across all mediums of entertainment. So they've done a wonderful job. Of attracting people to those kind of things now, um, but the whole issue of animation as a whole has really particularly come to head with the Oscars, particularly where a lot of the, almost every per, every person involved in that animated feature category spoke out was saying, "Well, animation is not just for kids," and the whole reason for creating that category and sticking every single animated project. In, and I think at the time when they created it, when Beauty and the Beast came out. Beauty and the Beast was actually up for Best Picture, and a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the people that be in Hollywood felt that it demeans the Best Picture of a, if a kids movie, if 
fits into that category. So it's 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 funny that we're having this argument of animation not just for kids, particularly he's have a lot of we for the last decade or so we've had a lot of adult centered animation, Family Guy, American Dad, King of the Hill. So I find it mm-hmm. funny that those two things where Netflix is talking about their competitors superseding them and them cutting their animation projects. Maybe two, there's twofold. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah. All right. So weekend recommendations still. Did you watch anything? I did not watch anything. I mean the only thing I've been watching, you know, I don't have it on. I don't have the the dressing on, but you know, focusing all my attention right now to, you know, the Miami the playoff push, you know, them beating the Hawks, you know. They, you know, his his name's on Ice Trade, you know, he put him on ice last game. So that that's me. That's that's me. That's my box office draw for me, my first weekend recommendation. Continue to watch the heat beat up on the Hawks. Okay. Alright, that's it. I don't know if you want to talk about the Johnny Depp stuff. I'm all for it. You know, well, you. I'll say what I watch real quick because it is. We'll get there. We'll talk. <laughs> um, so I watched everything, everywhere, all at once, um, which has been raved and ranted about. People have been obsessing over this movie, especially in film circles. So I watched it, and I was not moved. Um. I thought it was very ambitious. I thought like the thing that they were able to do with it was really cool. Um, but it was just way too long. Absolutely, absolutely way too long. Incredibly long. It, the pacing was really bad. Um, I'll say that. I think the ideas that they tried to explore in it were some of it was fleshed out, some of it was not. So it kind of left you like, okay, what are we even talking about? It was like basically like an acid trippy kind of movie with like a heartful message. But the more I thought about it once I left the theater, the more I was like, I don't think I like this. And I don't think that (laughs) I need to see, I need to maybe hear what other people think, not because it'll change my opinion, but just because maybe I missed something that I, in my viewing that I, that was picked up by others. So let me, I need to go back and look, do some more research and see like what this movie was really about. Cause I, cause I kind of got it, but I kind of didn't. And it just went on way too long. Like certain scenes were repeating over and over again. And I'm like, you guys could have done this in a tight one hour and 30 and get stretched it out to two hours and 10 and you didn't need to do that. So that was an issue for me. And I'm, I feel weird. Cause I felt like I should like this a lot, but I really didn't. So that's a hot take. Moving on, I've watched the Johnny Depp defamation case against Amber Heard every single day for yeah, a week. I, I, I did spectate a bit of it in between. One I have been glued to my computer watching this for hours because these things are hours long. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching like legal experts break this down as it's happening. So it's been very interesting to find out like all this other stuff. And I have to say that I felt really guilty watching this because I felt like I took the side of like, oh, they both did something wrong. So whatever. And Although through all this testimony, I will say that they should have never been together. Like this was an incredibly toxic relationship and they're both kind of not there. Mm. I will say that 
I don't think Amber really has a case. Like, it doesn't seem like she, she doesn't she, have a case. She, she just doesn't have a case. It, <laughs> she it, just doesn't. It, like, it's clear from how uh, yeah. her lawyer's been, you know, cross-examining, I guess, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Like, he's trying mm-hmm. to... Like, it's clear their whole plan, especially you can see it in when they play the recordings of them talking. Her whole thing is, oh, you're running away. Like, she, she's trying to say, I only did this because you react this way. Oh, I didn't do anything. You're crazy. And trying mm-hmm. to get trying to get a rise. It's clear that that's the lawyer's technique as well, because anytime Johnny was saying something, he would say, objection, that's hearsay. And there are mm-hmm. points in time when you watch, Johnny just literally stops and waits. Mm-hmm. And then he says, that's hearsay. He's like, I knew you were going to say that. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's clear their whole plan is to somehow create when Johnny is kind of agitated, he gets a reaction. Like, that's mm-hmm. clearly their whole plan. And it's obvious that it's failing, failing wonderfully. Especially when you show a picture of somebody like, like, I, I don't think I could hate somebody enough or be malicious enough mm-hmm. to take a shit on a bed that we both sleep on. Like, what is wrong with you, woman? <laughs> like, what? Like, legitimately, what is wrong with you? And then her excuse of, oh, I never really hit you. I threw, I, I was throwing stuff. Mm-hmm. That's still very, you know, violent. So. I could talk about this literally for days. Like, I could literally talk about yeah. this for days. Because I feel like, I feel like the main messaging that, or what I'm really feeling is that a lot of us, including myself, jumped to a conclusion that because she was a woman and because Johnny Depp seems like a kind of sketchy guy, that something that she was abused. And I think because most people took that position, he was left in a position of not having work, people thinking that he beats his wife, like all these kind of things. And I think we have to re-examine how we understand dynamics in terms of domestic violence and just work through the fact that women can also be abusers. And I don't, and I think maybe this case is important in terms of getting to that very point of like changing how we perceive these things and taking male, you know, domestic violence seriously and taking, you know, what they're saying seriously. It's a shame that we needed this case to do it, but I do think that the conversation is changing in terms of that. And I think that's important. But I also find him fascinating like I just find him entirely fascinating because the Johnny Depp that I know is from parts of the Caribbean like I wasn't born or like old enough yet to have seen as it scissor hands and all the other stuff like I was a little too young for that yeah. so like the person I know is a person who is you're like, the, the modern Johnny you don't know his issues modern with drugs Johnny. and alcohol yeah I knew he was like addiction I knew, problems he had addiction problems. I think that's part of his narrative. I think everyone pretty much knew that. To what degree, we didn't, I don't think we knew. We didn't know his relationship with his previous partner, Vanessa. We didn't know about the kids who, Lily Rose is like an actor now. Like she's in public life. So this is very interesting. Like the whole, his whole situation is very fascinating. So just observe. Because he kind of became a little bit reclusive, like, in the later years. Like, you didn't really see him out and about places. So, like, the Johnny from the 90s and the Johnny now, it's very different. And I just, but also very similar. Like, I went back and watched some of his older interviews, and he was saying kind of the same things that he's been saying now, which is really interesting. Um, But, yeah, it's, 
it's endlessly fascinating. I should not be taking this much enjoyment and like watching these trials, but I'm very fascinated and entertained. Some of it is just so insane. We are like, why did y'all get married? Like, it's just craziness, craziness. And I'm here for it. I'll be watching until this trial's over, so. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, to your, yeah, like you already said, I'm, I'm happy that, I'm sad this happened to Johnny, but I'm also kind of happy, happy, like you yeah. said, that this has put, like, domestic violence on a platform, because, yes, we do, like, men do have, you know, the physical side, you know, we do have the physical advantage to abuse women if we want to, um, I think abuse, though, is inherent to both men and women, you know, mm-hmm. anybody can be an abuser if they want to be an abuser, people think abuse is always physical, a lot of abuses psychological and mental mm-hmm. you know with withholding you know emotion and stuff like that from people um, and it's clear that she knew us as a culture as a society kind of wouldn't take johnny's side and she kind of knew this would be the reaction of you yeah. to take me speak out and say oh johnny this johnny that because she even set herself in recording to tell people they're not going to yeah. believe you so and she was counting on all that and for a while it did play into her hands so I'm glad this is happening to, you know, put those issues of, you know, domestic abuse into a wider, you know, audience of scope so we understand, like, yeah. Especially in it and it's and it's I'm I'm kind of okay. I, I don't I, I it's conflicted. I feel happy and sad. It's a weird. Yeah. Um uh, considering that this is Johnny Depp, this is a Hollywood icon, a major celebrity. And it kind of it kind of just proves that it could happen to anybody, especially that is Johnny Depp. We really really don't see stories and cases of men being abused take seriously right. at all. So I'm kind of like happy, like no, Johnny's like no, I'm suing you for defamation, suing you for all this, suing not just her, but he's also suing I think a lot of uh, newspaper publications for defaming him as well. So at least like in because male abuse isn't really reported a lot like yes we know um most women who are abused or men don't really come forward a lot but mm-hmm. those numbers are actually much much smaller when it comes to men being abused by women because of yeah. society so yeah right right okay well that's yeah. it um we hope that you guys take care of yourselves and having a good week make sure to check out all of our social media and follow us on letterboxd as you can and we will see you in the next episode goodbye au revoir